0: This is the third chapter in the fourth and final speech in the third round of dialogue as Job continues to reply to Brother Bildad. Now, in a sense, chapter 28 could almost be understood as a standalone speech. It isn't presented that way. It is, as I just said, the third chapter in the fourth and final speech in this third round of speeches between Job and his friends. So this speech happens inside a much larger speech that Itself happens inside a much larger cycle of dialogue. And yet, its message and focus is somewhat unique in the book. It is a speech about wisdom. What is it? Where does it come from? How can you find it? The problem with the speech, structurally, is that it anticipates the answer to Job's dilemma, which is presented to us finally in the arrival and proclamation of God. That would be fine. Except that having achieved these great insights and soul resolutions, Job then falls back into deep despair and expresses seemingly contrary convictions in chapter 29 and 30. So some scholars wonder whether we aren't reading this speech out of order or Perhaps this speech is being wrongly attributed to Job. Maybe somebody else made this speech. Maybe it's the perspective of the narrator. Maybe it was originally part of the speech brought by Elihu. Is that what is going on here? Again, I would say no. I think what's going on here is that once again, Job is riding the waves of his situation. He's having a mountaintop moment. He has been carried up and he is seeing and saying some very far-reaching things. But then, because he has been terribly wounded and entirely depleted, he is falling back again, almost to a position of unfaith. That's how it goes in real-life pastoral emergencies. We are foolish and naive in the extreme if we expect consistency out of terribly wounded people. Job is up and down. We've talked about this before. And here in chapter 28, he is way up. He is sharing marvelously profound thoughts about the source and nature of true wisdom and understanding. Then, in chapter 29 and 30, he is way down. He's confused again and appears to have lost his equilibrium. Tremper Longman III reminds us that this is par for the course when dealing with hurting people. He says, simply put, sufferers have up-and-down moments. While they can experience momentary calm in the midst of their emotional storm, often the pain overwhelms them, and they are suddenly confused and upset again, closed quote. He goes on to conclude, thus, I take the position that we should understand chapter 28 as the words of Job, closed quote again. I agree with that 100%. I think this is a great moment of clarity for Job, followed immediately by a collapse back into depression and despair. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley far away, from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air, far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots, cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden He brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? In this speech, Job is reflecting on the human search for precious things. He is amazed at our capacity as a species to dig into the earth, to discover and make proper use of gold, sapphire, copper, and iron. It is incredibly difficult to get at those things. You, you have to tunnel so far into the earth. You have to turn mountains inside out and dam up riverbeds in order to sink your shaft in just the right place. You have to seek out the right spot and then probe carefully and deeply beneath the surface. How marvelous, how unique and exceptional that is. And yet it is infinitely harder for us to discover wisdom. That's where this speech is going. Wisdom is more precious than silver or gold, but also far more elusive. That's the point here. And Job is making it beautifully. He Continues the speech in verse 13. Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where, then? does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? This speech is generally understood to have three stanzas or sections. The first stanza runs from verse 1 to 12, second from 13 to 20, and the third from verse 21 to 28. In this middle stanza, the inaccessible nature of wisdom is here explored. We look everywhere for it and we find nothing. We dive down into the ocean depths, and we find nothing. We try to buy wisdom with gold and silver, and it profits nothing. From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? That is the million-dollar question. And Job begins to answer it in this moment of inspired clarity in verses 21 to 28. He says, It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, We've heard a rumor of it. With our ears? God understands the way to it, and He knows its place. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When He gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when He made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then He saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out, and He said to man Behold, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So, Job says in the end that wisdom belongs to God alone. Only God really knows what is going on. We cannot understand. We cannot say one way or the other with any kind of certainty that this is happening because of that. We can't see far enough to make those kinds of declarations. Job says, even the birds of the air, who have a better perspective on things than we do, who can see a lot further away than we can, even the birds don't understand what's going on. You need more than a 10,000-foot perspective to really understand this fallen world, Job says. What you need is an eternal perspective. Only God knows what is going on because only God sees the whole board. That, my friends, is probably the wisest thing anyone has said yet in this entire book. Only God knows. You can't sit in someone's suffering and say, well, this is because of that. Jesus explicitly said not to do that. In John 9, when the disciples see a man blind from birth, they try to do that. They ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Are you hearing that? The disciples, the New Testament wise men, had two potential explanations for this man's inexplicable suffering. And they were both wrong. Jesus said that this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, how could the disciples ever have known that? How how could the blind man ever have known that? And the answer is that they couldn't have. They, They could have had four rounds of speeches with the blind man and Peter and James and John each going back and forth and forth and back around and around. And still they would never have been able to come up with an answer because wisdom resides with God alone. God knows. Jesus knows. Jesus looks at this situation and he knows exactly what's going on. There is a redemptive purpose here and Jesus sees it and seizes it in an instant. John 9 goes on to say, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Putting these texts together, you might almost say that suffering is never really understood and never really fully resolved until God shows up to speak and to work his purposes of redemption. I think that is exactly what the book of Job is saying. And I think that is also a half-decent summary of the New Testament. In the meantime, given his limited perspective and his continued faith in the goodness and justice of God, Job suggests the following path of wisdom, he says. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So what do we do in a world that we do not entirely understand? Job provides a very wise and workable plan. Fear the Lord, respect his power, his insight, his perspective, his sovereignty, his goodness, his godness, and turn away from evil. Do what is right, love what is true, and wait for the judgment and salvation of the Lord. That is excellent counsel. That is wisdom in the meantime. And that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible believing, gospel preaching churches. Here at Into the Word, I only promote ministries that I have first hand, on the ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca.